Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergera.com. Oh, um, hey, good morning. How you doing? Can you guys give it up for our amazing worship crew? What a phenomenal, <laughs> phenomenal time in the morning. Oh my gosh, okay, uh, far out. Um, goodness, oh, uh, where to start, Lord, where to start? Okay, uh, everyone put your hands up. Hands in the sky, hands in the sky, hands in the sky. Clap for five seconds, give them all the praise you can, one. Now leave your hands up, leave your hands up, leave your hands up. Leave your hands up if you listen. Hey, boys, boys, thank you. If you struggle with lust of any kind, keep your hand up. And if you don't, put your hand down. Trust me, trust me, okay? That's very honest and amazing, and I'm proud of you. Father God, right now, I just lift up every person with their hands up right now, God, and we just curse lust in the mighty name of Jesus. Pornography addiction, you die underneath the mighty name of Jesus. Right now, adultery, you die underneath the mighty name of Jesus. Right now, come on, somebody. Spirit of lust, spirit of De Jezebel, spirit of division, come on. Any sexual immorality that is out of order of heaven's alignment and assignment for your life, you go to hell from which you came, and heaven come and rule and reign in their lives in Jesus. Jesus mighty name church said praise him like you just got set free I am sick and tired I am sick and tired of pornography and lust and adultery ruling and reigning a generation and we're breaking chains today amen come on the Lord spoke to me very clearly during worship and he was like Matt there is power in purity and there is power in purity and there is presence in purity there is a presence that gets so close when you are walking so purely with the lord when you have just put to death the sin that's within you that so easily entangles and easily ensnares you and you just walk hand in hand with jesus today has nothing to do with what we're talking about Lord is very clear this morning he wants to be close and he has no equal and he has no rival and every lustful thought that arises in your head you have got to take care of it and you've got to take it captive and you've got to submit it to Christ and you've got to kill that thing resurrection comes only after a death don't be afraid to die to your lust today amen amen amen, amen. Sorry, I know that was intense for a second, but we got, a, we got business to take care of, okay? I mean, time is of the essence, amen? Y'all ready for the word of God this morning? Well, if I haven't got a chance to meet you, I'm insane. And uh, my name's Matt, and I'm the lead pastor here at Takeover Church alongside my amazing wife. It's good for you to be here. Um, sweet, we are in a series right now called uh, Pierce the Veil, and it's more than a series. It's, it's a season. It is a moment. It is something that we are learning right now as a church to occupy. This is a banner for us as we finish out the year. Uh, I don't really operate in series and in, in, in all of that. I think, I think we've had enough series. 
I think we need more seasons. I think we've had enough five-point messages. I need five-fold ministry of the Holy Spirit. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? Like, we, we, we want the real thing here at Takeover Church. Amen? So y'all ready to get into the Word of God? Fantastic. If you're taking notes, you should take notes. Notes are amazing. There's a notebook on or around your seat, probably in front of you. It's like a prayer journal. Take that, steal that. That's for you. Uh, our amazing friends at ODB, Our Daily Bread, gives us those. So check those out. But this morning, the title of my message for week three of Pierce the Veil, <sighs> Would You Build Me a Home? is the title of my message. Would you build me a home? Would you, would you build me a home? If you've got your Bibles, we're coming out of 2 Samuel. We're going to the OT. Somebody say OT. OT. That stands for both overtime and Old Testament because that's what we do here at Takeover Church. <sighs> 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. It'll be up on the Sky Bible um, behind me, but I encourage you to bust it out yourself. I'm coming out of the ESV, which is the closest English translation there is to the original scriptures and letters. 2 Samuel 7, 1 through 17. Can you guys give it up for Kelsey and what is it got? We got DJ back there. We got Evan back there. Pastor Evan, can you guys give it up for them holding it down the booth for us? <laughs> 2 Samuel 7, you ready? Now when the king lived in his house and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. He's talking about David. All the surrounding enemies. The king said to Nathan, the prophet, see... See, now I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And then Nathan said to the king, go and do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. But, but that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, and he said, go tell my servant David. Thus says the Lord, would you, would you, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent for my dwelling in all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I, did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from the following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people of Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all of your enemies before you, and I will make you for you a great name like the name of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. And, you, and the violent men shall afflict them no more, as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offsprings after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away 
from before you and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever before me. And in accordance with all these words and in accordance with all of this vision, Nathan spoke this to David. We're going to pray and we're going to see what the Lord will do with that. Sound good? Can we pray in church? Is that still okay? Fantastic. Lord Jesus, thank you for meeting us in this room right now. God, you're... I am disturbed by you, God. I am so disturbed by you in the best way possible, God. You have just showed off already this morning. And God, I just ask right now, Lord, I ask right now, Lord, that while the wind may be different in this moment of service, God, don't let the coals grow dim. God, keep the fire burning that you started today. Lord, we, we are not a people that are content. We are not a people that are safe. We are not a people that are satisfied, God. We are not. We hunger and we thirst and we, we, we are not quenched by anything other than your living presence among us, God. So this morning, Jesus, would you keep walking between your lampstands? Would you keep checking our wicks and checking our oil and checking our health and checking our mental and checking our spiritual? Check us, God, this morning, Lord. Check us, Lord, before we wreck us, Lord. Father, we long to say, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we say that right now. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, you have unlimited access. There is not a place in this space right now, not a heart, not a mind, not a soul, not a spirit that you do not have license to take over. Come. Come, Holy Spirit, and have your way in this place, Lord. We are believing for the gifts of the Spirit to bust out today. We are believing for words of prophecy and knowledge to bust out today. We are believing for young men and old men and young women and old women to begin to dream and have visions again, God, today, Lord. We are not content with crumbs, church, Christianity, but we came for a full meal. So come have your way in us, Lord, and we will be careful to get out of the way and let you do what you do. In Jesus' mighty name, a faithful church yelled, Amen. Oh. Oh. Would you build me a home? Would you build me a home? Would you, would you build me a home? See this sentence, this statement by David, it, it, has, it, has, it has completely transformed me. It has completely changed me. It has completely ruined me for every other objective in my life. Friends, I am telling you the whole point of this season is to pierce the veil, is to go into that intimacy with the Lord where his presence is so close and it's so near and not just visit it once, not just taste it twice, not just come to church three times and feel like we did something, but learn to occupy not just on Sunday, but on the daily, the living presence of God in our lives. And I am, I, am, I am ruined for any other objective in church. I, and heck, I am ruined for every other objective in Matt McClure's life. I, I have one chief concern with my life. I have one chief concern for this church. There is one desire in my heart and there is one reason I exist. It is to build a home for him. There is one reason this church exists, to build a home for him. 
I don't know when it happened and I don't know where it went and I don't know when we sacrificed the five-fold ministry for five-fold bullet points in a message in 35 minutes and 20-buck tip. I don't know when we gave as presents for people, but we did. And we're in an hour right now in the earth. And I got to tell you, I'm not a doomsday preacher, okay? But I, <laughs> I've read the end of the book. <laughs> and friends, I, I do. I do believe. And I'm, I'm, I do believe. This is, this is my own personal conviction. I do believe we have been in the end days since Jesus left and ascended back into heaven. And we have never been closer to the end than we are right now. And it is pretty dark outside. It is pretty crazy in the world. But how many of you know Jesus is still seated on his throne. His bride is still being built up and she is still beautiful. She is still radiant. And right now he is saying, arise and shine. Amen. And in saying that, there's... The shining that the church is supposed to arise and shine, the, the glimmer, the gleam, the glamour, the, the light that you and I are to possess. Friends, it's, it's the same light that was on Moses. It's the same light that was on Jesus. It's the same light that comes from transfiguration. It's the same light that comes from being close to him, from being in his presence. There is something about being around Jesus that we need to get on us that we need to be in proximity to, that when we leave, we leave forever changed. I hate these microphones, I swear. We, we, we're not called to remain the same. There should be something about being around Jesus that should leave us burned. There should be something about being around Jesus that should leave us marked, that should lead us transformed, that should leave us completely taken over by his glory and by his presence and by his power and by who he is. Jesus himself said, there will come a time when my people will worship in spirit and in truth. And I'm telling you right now is that time. We are called to be spirit and truth disciples brides. We are called to be his body and the members of it. We are called to be his people, his light, his voice, preparing in the wilderness for his arrival. Amen. And so I am completely undone in this season because I'm asking myself, where, where did it go? Where did it go? Where did it go? Because friends, here's the deal. If, 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 we, if we are content to live without his presence, we will live without his presence. If we are content to live without his presence, we will live about his presence, without his presence. You want to know why? You want to know how I know that? Because humans, you and me, humans, humans only occupy what they deem essential, not what they see as optional. Humans only occupy what they see as essential, not what they see as optional. What, what, not what they've decided they can do without, they can live without. We, we will only go into land that we say we have to take this. We can't live without it. We will only go into exports that we say we can't have this. We cannot have without this. We have to go forward in this. We will only go into marriages that we go, I can't live without this person. I have to have them. We only occupy what we deem essential. Not what we see as optional. And friends, as long as we are only content with hosting revival nights and not hosting revival in our region, we will go without it. We will go without it. 
I'm a firm believer that when Jesus said, ask anything in my name, my father will give it to you. Christians can have whatever they want. But if we're content to live without it, if we're content to go on without his presence taking over our lives, if we're content to just leave Grand Rapids the way we found it and then die, if we're content to do that, if we're content to not raise up and train up our kids to go into schools to be the light and the love of Jesus, then we will go without it. If we're content, it's one thing to leave a service like this and go into that worship moment and go, man, I feel on fire. It's one thing to confess fire. It's a whole other thing to possess fire. It's one thing to have the confession of being on fire. It's a whole other thing to leave with the possession of fire. You see, we, we love to confess the fire, but we don't long to be consumed by the fire. Because that means we have to die. That means our wants and our needs and our desires, they go by the wayside. And that means God's wants, God's needs, God's desires, they come to the front. So often, so often we will go without his presence and we will carry on like this and we don't even know when it happened. Because when we first got saved, we were stoked, weren't we? When we first got saved, we were like, I got to be in church. I got to be there. I've got to go. I've got to be at this thing. Youth ministry, wherever you met Jesus, campus ministry. Maybe it was when you were an adult. This changed my life. Jesus showed up and I met God. And I've got to be there. And then, and then life happens. And then marriage happens. And then dating happens. And then college happens. And then so on and so forth. And suddenly we get busy about our own desires and our own wants and our own needs and suddenly the whole reason we have any gifts, the whole reason we have any talents, the whole reason we have any dreams, the whole reason we have any desires, the whole reason we have any life is because God thought of us in the first place, but suddenly he takes last place in our thoughts. But I believe there's a time in the earth right now where God is calling us back, come away with me. Come away with me, Grant. Come away with me. Come away with me, Amber. Come away with me. Come away with me, Josh. Come away with me. Come away with me. Be with me. Spend time with me daily, not just Sunday. Put to death the Sunday Christianity with you and come away with me. Because in this hour, you can see it, there are two camps in the body of Christ right now. And it's not good. There should be no camps. There should be one bride, one body. Amen. Asia and I were just talking about this. People ask us what kind of denomination we are. We are not a denomination because we are not a divided nation. We do not believe in a divided nation. We believe in worshipers who worship in spirit and truth. What kind of church are we? Spirit and truth kind of church. But there are two camps being revealed. Those who are saying, yes, we can't live without his presence. Our house, these places, what we worship in, our lives, our people, we, we are going to live to worship him. We are going to live to be in his presence. We are actually going to make our lives not about our lives and then having Jesus on the side, but it's going to be about Jesus and our life is on the side. And then there's the other camp who aren't going away with Jesus. So Jesus is saying, come away with me, come be with me. And instead what they're found doing, not found going away with Jesus, they're found going the way of culture, getting along with the world, deciding that no, God's presence is optional. God's word is optional. Church is optional. His presence in our lives is optional. His presence in our home is optional. His presence in our conversation and in our workplaces are optional. And because they've allowed God to be an option of their life instead of the objection of their life, 
We see them go in the way of the world and we see morals just slip and we see sin slip into the pulpit and we're seeing all of these things happen. And so right now we are truly in a time where the bride is divided amongst ourselves. And I believe Lord Jesus is saying, no, 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 get back to the one thing, the me thing, the come away with me thing. I'm still your bridegroom. You're still my bride and my presence still goes before you. My presence still goes before you. And see, I'm in this place in life right now where I am, I'm completely insane. I'm completely mad. I'm completely just disturbed by the glory of God because there's this, there's this, there's this verse, you see, that marries right with this. If you ever read David's Psalms, it, it follows David's life. So you're seeing in this scripture that we're reading today, you're seeing it being played out. But when you look in the Psalms, you're seeing his thoughts and his prayers and his time alone with the Lord played out in the exact same moments. And it's this unique insight. And in Psalms 85, David, he makes this bold proclamation. He says, better is one day in your house. Better is one day in the courts of the Lord than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the temple of God then set up shop in the tent of wickedness. Amazing, because today in Christianity, today in the church, we got a lot of people who we might proclaim better as one day in your house, but we actually are really excited to leave church to go set up shop in a tent of wickedness. We don't, if, we, if we don't talk about these things, we're never going to get well. If we don't talk about sickness, if we don't look at it, if we don't examine it, if we don't bring it to the great physician, Lord Jesus, we're never going to be healed. Like we, we have got to do some realignment in the body of Christ because 2,000 years ago, this was plain language. This was normal. This is what Christians actually live to do. You see, friends, we got to quit looking at this as if it is Lord of the Rings, if this is C.S. Lewis's greatest works, as if this was fiction. This is not fiction. This actually happened. This is the greatest living historical document on the face of the planet. These events took place. Whether the world wants to believe they went down the way they did or not is regardless. Who cares? Miss me with that. These men, these people, these women, they actually experienced this. And they wrote down their life with Jesus. They wrote down the moments with God. They wrote down the moments with the Holy Spirit. They recorded all of this and put it into Scripture and prayed it through with the Nicene Council. And here we are today with the Bible to let us know what is possible with God. That he authored himself through his very breath and his very inspiration to his church, to his men, to his women. And he said to them, put this in there. Why? Because my bride needs to know her bridegroom. So David, he wrote in Psalms 85, better is one day in your courts, better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. When I first met Jesus in the early 2000s, man, there was this song by this terrible band called Cutlass. Anybody remember them? No offense if you ever find this somewhere, guys. I don't know if you're still going or what you're doing, but uh, you're more than welcome to come worship here, just not lead worship here. Anyways, I'm bad. But they had this song. And when I met Jesus in the early 2000s as a 16-year-old boy, messed up, torn up, full of sin, full of drugs, being stupid, a kid who's a product of abuse, I met Jesus. And this song, it gripped me. 
It gripped me. It got a hold of me. And I didn't care how bad the guy sung on the recording. I found the Matt Redman version later. It was magical. But all of a sudden, it was just, better is a one day in your house, right? Do we know it? How about you sing it for me? Better is... Right? And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, it gripped me. It laid hold of me. It got its talons in me, and God has not let it go. Because it, it really is. Better is one day in his house, in his courts, in his presence, than a thousand elsewhere. And let me tell you today, church, there was a time when Christians actually believed that. There was a time when Christians actually believed this. Where it wasn't just a song on K-Love. Where it wasn't just a song that was perfect for the short van trip with the minivan from Rockford to Grand Rapids. It, it, it was more than that. This, this, this was possessing David. This was possessing the early church. This has always possessed God's people. Better is one day in your house than a thousand elsewhere. And when I met Jesus, man, I met Jesus. Let me tell you about me and Jesus. Suddenly, when I met Jesus, I found a home. It's called the church. I found a father. His name is God. And my youth pastor said he would never treat me the way mine did. And guess what? Here I am 16 years later, true. I found a people to belong to. I found life and life more abundantly. I found a place where my pride can die and my gifts can live to serve a greater glory and his name is Jesus, where I don't have to live unto my own ends, but I can live unto his. I found a place that was truly, his presence was there. And guess what, friends? Better is one day in his house than a thousand elsewhere. I mean, think about it for a second. Go with me on an adventure. Don't give me a Christian answer. What's the best day of your life? What was it? The day you married Kenny? I get that. The day I married Kenny? What, some of us the day we graduated college? Some of us the day we had our baby? Some of us the day we bought our first house? Some of us the day we started our business? Some of us the day we met Jesus? Some of us... We think back when somebody says, what's the best moment, best day, best part of your life? And you go right there. And David is declaring for eternity. Better is one moment with God than a thousand of those moments. And Christians, you and me, at one point, we believed that. We believed that. Were moments where we gathered and there he was among us was better than the day we married our best friend. Where God's glory showed up and showed off in a room and it consumed us and it set us free and suddenly the universe made sense and fell apart all at the same time before us. It was better than graduation day. It was better than birthing our baby boy. It was better. There was literally... An all-consuming God whose presence is better, not figuratively, literally, than the greatest things you and I have ever experienced on this earth. Because the presence of God is an eternal reward that supersedes and eclipses every earthly trophy we could ever achieve.
whether that's a trophy wife, trophy job, whatever the trophy, his, his glory and his presence, the tangible presence of God, David says, is better. I mean, think about David. Think about David. David had some pretty good days, didn't he? I mean, David, he, he got saved from the lion and the bear, right? I mean, David, he got to go and kill Goliath. I mean, David, he got called on to minister to Saul when he had a demon. I mean, David, he got to marry Saul's daughter, Michael. I mean, David got anointed king. David, David had a lot of good days. David had everything. He had the palace. He had the lady. He had the riches. He had the glory. He had the Tesla and the Tesla batteries. He had it all. He was king. And yet out of all of David's good days, good moments, good peaks into the veil, God's presence in his life eclipses and supersedes it all. And there was a time when we knew that. And there was a time when the church possessed that. And there was a time when we decided that is what we were going to live for and what we were going to fight for. And the rest of it was going to be butter because we understood. We understood everything we have is because God first thought of us and yet we find ourselves thinking of him last. Better is one day. I'm here to tell you today, church. Better is one day and the presence of God still, still, undefeated, heavyweight champion of the universe is being in Lord Jesus' presence. How about you praise him for me real quick? Go. You see, the reason I bring that up, <laughs> the reason I bring that up is because this is what possessed David. You see, in this moment in Scripture, here's David. This literally takes place right after last week's Scriptures. I didn't plan this. this the Lord did. He's better at it, this than I am. It literally takes place right after last week's Scripture. And what happens in this moment, friends, is David. He has finally got the tent. He has finally got the ark back to the city of David in Jerusalem. He finally has God where he's supposed to be in his holy city, ruling and reigning, and they are having worship services, and it is amazing. God is where God is supposed to be. David is ruling, and here is the scene. David has got everything, and in this moment, he is talking with his prophet, Nathan, and he's taken inventory of his life, and he's like, man, I have I have got it all. I got the ark back. God's set up. My wife's a little crazy, but we're going to get through that. <laughs> I've got the kingdom. I've got the money. I've got the fame. I've got the armies. I've got the land. I've got the notoriety. I am famous and infamous. I've got it going on. I am King David. Yet David was absolutely disturbed and absolutely distraught. And friends, this disturbance in his humanity, this distraught that he felt, this distress that he was under, this, this, this being completely wrecked by God, 
isn't reserved for priests and kings, but actually later on in the rest of the scripture, which we don't have time to get into today, David actually goes on to proclaim this madness that he's under is for all mankind. So before we go any further, I just want to eradicate, put to death, destroy, absolve you of any notion and thought or lie from the pit of hell that what I'm describing today is reserved for me as a pastor, for worship leaders with large followings on Instagram, or for people who you think may know the Bible more than you. This is for all mankind, because all mankind are supposed to be saved unto Jesus. Amen. That is the goal. God so loved the world that he might reconcile the world back onto himself. Every person is God's desire. And that means every person is completely capable of possessing this flame, this fire, this madness. Where are all the saturated ones who long to worship at the feet of Jesus? Where are the soaked, the saturated, the set apart, the burning ones, the ones that are filled with glory and bring his glory? Where are the ones who show up with the presence of God, the church, not come to the church for the presence of God? Where are the burning ones? Are they here, church? David, he's, he is a burning one. And he's taking inventory of his life with Nathan and he's just going, I have got it all. I have a palace made of cedar. And I just picture Nathan being like, hey, dude, get it, boy. Get it, boy. Talk your stuff. Talk your stuff, boy. And David, he's not talking his stuff. Taking inventory and he's like, I, I have a palace of cedar and God lives out back homeless in a Cabela's tent. I have a palace made out of cedar. And God lives out back in a Cabela's tent. It's at this moment we have to pause there and go, do you see David's problem? Everything that David is, is because God did that for him. God called him. God delivered him. God chose him, God used him, God saved him, God set him apart, God pursued him, God promoted him, God raised him up. Wow, and suddenly when you start listing all things that God did for David, you start going, wow, God did that for me. God saved me, God rescued me, God set me apart, God raised me up, God promoted me, God protected me. I have been through hell and back and I was not burned by it, I was not scathed by it, I didn't just only survive, but I thrived in it. God did that. And suddenly we can begin to get a picture and understanding of why David is insane and why this matters so much to him because everything that David is is because God said, let it be. And David is going, how can I, how, how can I have everything? God have nothing out there. See, when I first met Jesus, it, it was clear to me that the reason that scripture better is one day in your courts than a thousand else. Or the, better, the reason it gripped me so hard is because, yes, I grew up in hell. Yes, I grew up in a terrible situation. Yes, I had a terrible childhood. Yes, that happened. But there is no disclaimer on that scripture. There's no drop down link to expand more. There's no truth tweet underneath it that says, 
only for the orphans, only for the people who are abuse victims, only for those who are drug babies. No. There's no disclaimer. There's no qualifier. There is simply better as one day in his presence than a thousand elsewheres. And so that means whether, whether you were abused or cherished, whether you had a father or you were fatherless, whether you were homeless or you're from the Hamptons, whether life was good or it was bad, pretty or ugly, it doesn't matter. Better is one day in his course than a thousand elsewhere. And that gripped me. That changed me. And I see that in David and I see him going, man, it doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter how I got here. It doesn't matter what I have in my possession now because at one point I was just a poor boy out in the middle of nowhere. I've had riches and I've had loss. I've had nothing. I've had it all. And right now my greatest concern isn't keeping what God has given me. It's giving God something he never asked of me. Because David is disturbed that he has a palace of cedar and God lives homeless in a tent. Can I ask you today, church, how much, how much is his presence worth to you? How much is his presence worth to you? How much is the living God being around you worth to you? Because what begins to play out next is David using all of his might, all of his ability, all of his sway and all of his swing and all of his power, all of his money, begin to construct and build God. Not a better tent, but he builds God, a temple. Builds him a home. David is mad, falling out of his tree, going, How do I have a palace to host people in my presence and God doesn't? Hear me. How do we, how do we have palaces, relationships, homes, places, jobs, riches, things? We go without giving God the same. We go without building him a home. Quick disclaimer, this is not a building fund message. That's not where this is leading. Just dawned on me right now. I was like, oh, this would be really great if we were able to buy property right now. This, this, this message would slay. But, but that's not the point. That's not the point of today. My point of today is that if I'm going to build a church that hosts and values the presence of God, I gotta start building Christians that host and value the presence of God. If we're gonna see the presence of the living God take over our region, I first have to raise up believers that the presence of God takes over their lives, amen? We, if we're gonna see it, we've gotta start with us. Because here's the deal, you knew this was coming. What are we doing on Tuesday? We're voting, we're voting. and we're voting what, kingdom? Principles, policies, values, yes and amen, come on. And we're voting no on Prop 3, praise God. But here's the deal. Here's the deal. Our salvation doesn't come from legislation. Our salvation comes from King Jesus. But let me tell you this real quick too, in case you think about not voting. 
and not voting properly for the kingdom of God values. Not politicians, not personalities. Kingdom values. Because there are some who are being mutilated and murdered whose salvation will actually come by way of actually existing because we voted the right legislation in. Just so you know. Go back to David. See, in this moment, Nathan says, go and do all that's in your heart. Go and do all that's in your heart. And so Nathan, he departs from David and Nathan begins to have a conversation with God. And we get an intro to this. We get a, we get a writing of this. We get to hear this played out, this conversation. And we get to hear Nathan deliver it back to God. And this is where we get the title of today's message because God says to Nathan, as if he's talking to David, you got to hear this. Build me a house. David wants to build me a house. Would you build me a home? This is a question, not a command. This is a question, not a command. Would you? David, did you just say you'd build me a home? Would you? Would you build me a home? And the reason this is an important distinction is because we've got a lot of Christians today living as if God's questions are his commands and God's commands are his suggestions. Living by God's commandments, let me put it plain for you. Living by God's commandments give way to breakthrough. And answering God's questions correctly gives way to blessing. But if you live as if either of those are suggestions, you miss out on everything. Moses did not come down with the 10 suggestions. He came down with the 10 commandments. Jesus didn't roll on the scene and go, hey, a new, a new suggestion I give you. Love the God, your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. No, he said, a new commandment I give you. Love your God, your Lord, with all your heart, strength, soul, and mind. Amen. Well, I know why, because when you live by God's commandments, you experience God's breakthrough. And then let's talk about questions, because here's the deal. I guess David could have been zealous. He could have been just crazy and excited. and be like, God, I'll build you a house. And then he gets off his Holy Spirit hangover, and he goes, you know, that's actually going to cost a lot more than I thought it would. And I got a little excited, Lord, and I shouldn't have said that. So let's renegotiate the contract of what I just said. That's why it's a question, not a commandment. He wasn't demanding that David builds him a house. He was responding to David going, would you? Would you? In fact, he goes on to say, no, 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 no. I, have, I, have, I have traveled from tent to tent. I have been a tent preacher. <laughs> I, have been, I have been a tent revivalist, and I've had no place to live. I've had no place to call home. I have traveled from tent to tent, city to city. I have just been outside. Ever since we left, I led my people out of Israel. No one, he says, hear this. How insane is this? No one since Egypt has ever offered to build God a temple. And it's easy for us to sit here and judge, right? And we're going, idiots? Like, why would you not? And yet right now the Holy Spirit's going on the inside of all of us. Have you built me a temple in your life? 
Oh, silly Israelites, he just delivered you from Egypt's hands. You are no longer slaves, but now you are free. He is setting you up in your own land, in your own place, where he has called you to be free and live and occupy and just live and worship him. How silly of you not to think to build him a permanent temple. Have you? Have you built me a permanent temple in your life? I, I led you out of sin. I led you out of absolute damnation and hell. I led you out of all of your error and ways and I've led you into the promised land and I gave you a calling and I put a plan in your life and I set you apart for a mission and, and yet have, have you constructed me a temple in your life? If we're gonna live to pierce the veil, if we're gonna live to occupy his presence, if we're gonna live to exist within that intimacy with the Lord, we have gotta begin to get these things. We have got to begin to understand the presence isn't a joke. Church isn't a religious punch card. You do not get a free drink with five turns to church, okay? You get free drinks every Sunday. Give it up for Angie one time, holding it down in the cafe. Would you build me a home? Would you build me a home? And then there's another Psalms where David, we see a peek into this moment with Nathan and he's going, God, I will not, I will not give rest to my eyes nor sleep to my body until I have found a place for you to live. He says that, you're going, this has to be hyperbole. This has to be exaggeration. This has to be just this, he just must be insane. He must be falling out of his, his tree mad. He must be just losing his marbles. No, 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 David meant it. David goes, no, no, I have everything. And the only thing that's gonna satisfy me is if God has a place to rest. If God has a place to dwell among his people. Again, from Genesis to Revelation, what has always been God's plan? To dwell among his people. And David understood that. And David is saying, I will not give sleep nor rest to my eyes or my body until I have found a place for the Lord to live. Well, Matt, how does that apply to us? Are you telling me I shouldn't be sleeping until I've encountered the presence of the Lord? Probably. Probably. But I would say in a far more practical level, What do you relent for besides him? What do you stop for besides him? I mean, are we going to sleep without him having all of our thoughts? Are, are, we, are we quitting without him having all of our obedience? Are, are we stopping short of complete and total freedom or are we just content with not looking at porn for three weeks but then failing on the fourth? Like, where do we relent? Where do we give rest to ourselves? Where do we stop before Jesus has completely taken over an area and a sector of our lives? Where do we give sleep? Where do we close our eyes? Where do we stop co-laboring with Christ until our co-workers get one saved and we're content or we, we want the whole building? What are we doing for him and when are we stopping doing it? Because here's David. He's like, no, 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 I, I am insane. I will not give rest to my eyes nor sleep to my body until God has a place to rest and to live. I will not. He has to. He is the reason. 
He is everything I have. He is everything I want. He is everything for me in this life. And he is out back in a tent. I am in a cedar palace. There is something wrong here. I wonder for us today, because here's the deal. We're not just building one temple. We're actually building two. See, Today, we live underneath a new covenant. It's called Jesus Christ. And so there's not a singular temple where God begins and rests and comes among his people, but there is plural temple. Hear me. There is God among his people, church, and then there is God within his people, the Christian. See, we have two temples we're now entrusted to build. We're not just building one temple here. We're building a temple here in our heart, in our life. We're now tasked with not just building this house, but giving him a home here as well. This thing just went up a notch. Can I tell you this? David, when he's talking about the presence of the Lord and how better is one day in it, he's not talking about heaven because he hasn't experienced heaven. Can I tell you that when David is talking about better as one day, that he's so crazy he's not even going to go to sleep until he has built a home for God that is better than his own. I got a cedar palace. You want a cedar palace? You deserve a cedar palace. No, no, no. David isn't even talking about the Holy Spirit dwelling within him. You see, there are notable people in the Old Testament that God, yes, his spirit came and rested upon, but he never dwelt within. And so David, he didn't even experience all that you and I have access to. David had a fraction of God. David had a portion of him. David had a specific measurement that was available to Israel at that time. You and I have far more access to God than David did, but often our lives reflect far less hunger for God than David's did. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. Is this a stiff drink this morning? Yeah, well, I'm not going to be here next Sunday because we're going to preach in New York, but I had to leave you in good hands, okay? Right, <laughs> Got to make sure I fill you up before we go. Although, Prophet Zach is going to crush it next week, so get ready because it's going to be nuts. I don't even know what's going to happen. I'm going to come back and people are going to be hanging from the ceiling and all sorts of stuff. 36 feet, bro. Better have a rope. But David, he didn't have near as much of God available to him as we do. That was a time where he couldn't even go into the inner courts, holies of holies, without people melting before the presence of God. It's the whole point of the Old Testament being available to us is that we have this available to go. How much more should we be inclined should we be giving? Should we be involved? Should we be leaning in? Should we be building for him and activating with him and co-laboring with him? How much more should our lives be affected by him and for him and set apart for him than even these people? Because we don't just dwell among God. He dwells within us. God's desire. He is both Emmanuel, God with you, and Holy Spirit, God within you. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. So what begins to happen in this conversation between God, Nathan, and David is incredible because God, he starts listing off all of these things that he is going to do for David. He goes, David, I am gonna, I'm gonna keep you safe from your enemies. 
David, I am going to cut your enemies off before they even get to your palace doors. David, I am going to save your family and your whole people. David, I am going to do all of these things for you. And you know what? Shoot, while I'm at it, David, you telling me you're going to build me a home, I'm going to build you a home. Pause right there. This is the moment in the service where the organ comes. And the preacher starts going like this. Because friends, I've got to tell you, if you will build God's home, God will build your home. If you get busy building God's building, God will get busy building your building. Organ, praise him. Yes, sir. Jesus, God. Can't tell. That's where I come from. Let's go. Now, that's good preaching, right? That's good preaching. That's real good. You get busy building God's house. God's going to get busy building your house. Third offering, go. Like, that's good preaching. That's good tweets. You can put that in a nice clip on Instagram, get 30 seconds worth out of it. It'll get 100 million plays, and suddenly we're blowing up. Come on. Take over nation, right? It's good preaching. And yes, in part, that is true. That is true, in part. If you build God's house, God will build your house. That is, that is true. But that's called pretext, not context. Pretext is when you have a preconceived notion for what a scripture should mean, and then you make the scripture fit your notion. It's called pretext. Context is what God actually is saying in it, and that ain't it. You see, because what begins to happen is when we decide we're going to live our lives with not a relationship with God, but an engagement with God, suddenly we enter into something called a prid quo quo with God, where God, I'll build your house, you build my house. I'll do one for you, you do one for me. I scratch your back, you scratch my back, except the only problem with that is if God scratched your back, you die. (laughs) You know what I mean? And suddenly, if we engage with this scripture, if we engage with this truth that God says, I'm going to do all of these things for you, David, because you decided you're going to build me a home, I'm going to build you a home. If we decide that is how we're going to build our lives and build our theology and build our relationship with God, suddenly we go from a presence-driven relationship with God to a quid pro pro engagement with God. And the only problem with a quid pro pro is what happens when you're in a season of trials, troubles, talents, and tithing. And all of a sudden, it's like, man, I've been, I've been sowing. I've been tithing. I've been serving. I've been at the house. All these things are going on. And both my cars blew up. I got poop coming up the front yard because my septic tank's overflowing. Like, I'm going for some real stuff right now. So real crap is happening. <laughs> I've gone through some real things right now. But I thought preacher said, if I built God's home, he was going to build my home. And all of a sudden you enter into this quid pro pro where suddenly you feel like God is not holding up his end of the bargain. And it's a problem because preachers like me should have told churches like you, It's not give and get and give and get and give and get. It's surrender. You get him and he gets everything you already have because it's all his in the first place. Wait, Pastor Matt, are you just telling me uh, I got to give all my money? 
It's all his anyways. What, what are we talking about? Why is this even a negotiation? Right, so I give all my times. I give all my talents. I give all my treasure. I serve and I do all of these things. What do I get? Him. Him. Well, why does he get everything and I only get him? We are talking about the same living God, right? <laughs> he gets everything and you get him because he is worthy of getting everything. He made a way for you to get him. When we begin to live a quid pro pro engagement with God, not a presence driven relationship with him, something begins to happen. It's called paganism. It's called paganism. Where you go from being a son and daughter of the most high God to being a pagan. Well, Pastor Matt, I need you to elaborate on that. I will. See, when you're around your mom and dad, what do children do? Well, sons and daughters, they ask their fathers for things, right? In his presence, you have full license to ask him for anything. That's what Jesus said. Ask anything in my name, and my dad, he will be so glad to give it to you. What do pagans do? Pagans worship for a blessing. Sons and daughters, they ask fathers for gifts. That's what sons and daughters do. Pagans, they worship for a blessing. And can I tell you this? You know what Christians do? Christians recognize that worship is the blessing. Worship is the blessing. I don't know how many times I'm talking to people throughout the week and all of a sudden it's like, hey, I'm gonna see you Sunday, right? And they're like, yeah, man, life's been like hellacious. Things are crazy. And I really just need to like, you know, go and receive from God and worship. That's JV. It's not quite varsity. Do you receive in worship? Yes. But however, we do not worship to receive in worship. Do not. We do not. His blessings are a byproduct. Friends, if you get his heart, you get his hand. If you get his heart, you get his arm. His might at work in your life is a byproduct of your worship. We don't worship for a blessing. We have to get to the place where we understand that worship itself is the blessing. Here's David. Worship team, you can make your way up here. Here's David. David, he doesn't, he doesn't worship God for a blessing. You see, he had no understanding that this was going to be God's response. No, no, he just loved God. He just loved God. Oh, yeah, Grant, I like that. Holy Spirit. I need that the whole time. I'm gonna sound less angry and more spiritual. It's gonna be awesome. He just loved God. He loved him. Like actually loved him. Not like West Michigan, I go to church, I love God kind of a way, but like a old Jerusalem, I'm gonna worship him at the temple all day, every day kind of way. You see, David, he never worshiped so he could get a blessing from God. David saw it as a blessing to worship God. 
that he could have a relationship, that he could have a measurement, a fraction of what you and I get. He gets a glimmer of this. And it's enough for him to give his entire life for it. I wonder what would begin to happen in your life if God, I wonder what would begin to happen in your life if we lived in such a way, if we loved God in such a way that we got a response from God. Would you? Would you? Would you? What would that look like? What would our lives look like? What would our marriages look like? What would our houses look like? Our families, our city, our region? What would America look like if if Christians just decided we were gonna spare no expense? We were gonna worship and we mean worship and we were gonna love and we mean love and we were gonna be obedient and we mean obedient. We were gonna follow his commandments and we meant follow when we decided we're actually going to live unto him and his glory alone. And then everything else he gives us, that is just extra because we got him. We got him. With the Father comes his gifts. With the King comes his kingdom. With his throne comes all of heaven. We don't got to worship for a blessing. He is the blessing. And he freely and lovingly and cherishingly gives. Amen. Where did we get? How did we arrive at this point when Jesus can walk into the room, his presence can be here, and we, his bride, have no idea what to do? We don't even recognize his touch anymore. Someone comes underneath the presence and power of God in service, and we go weird and out of order, and we try to get them taken care of, and God's like, no, I'm touching them. You don't know what I just set them free from, delivered them from, healed in their body what they've been dealing with for 20 years. You have no idea what I'm doing over here. And yet, instead of treasuring the Holy Spirit, we try to tolerate him the best we can until we can't anymore. And then we have sterilized religious services. That's where we're at in 2022. But David, well before Jesus even came on the scene, He was mad, insane for God going, I am not going to give sleep or rest to my eyes or my body until I found a place for him to dwell. And I'm calling us to get to this place of Davidic worship where we're willing to go, you know what? Contemptible and abased worship, yes but bring me to that place that goes beyond the insanity of, sh- of hooting and hollering and getting undignified and contemptible before people. Give me that kind of worship, that Davidic worship like David had, where I will spare no expense, I will give of everything, and I will stay and live better as one day in your course than a thousand elsewhere. Would you guys stand? what happens next is of the utmost importance to us. See, David, he had no prior knowledge that this was going to be God's response to how he lived his life. He just felt that was the only natural response to God, was to live his life this way. 
But God's response, He didn't stop at saying, I'm going to build you a home, David. I'm going to keep you from your enemies, David. I'm going to set up Israel in a place that they can never have it taken from them, David. He didn't stop with those promises. Actually, he, he ups the ante because of this Davidic worship that David is displaying. How he's living his life. Actually, God takes it even a step further and he says something of grand importance to us today. And if we don't get this revelation on the inside of us, we will miss being a part of the greatest revival that not only Grand Rapids or our region has seen, but our world has seen. We are on the cusp of something great in the world and in our nation right now, and it requires Davidic worship. What is that, Matt? God says, David, not only will your name be remembered forever. Remember, he searched. He's heard. He's led. There's been Elijah's and Elisha's great things. There's been Joshua and Caleb going into the giant land. There's been amazing things happening before David was ever king. Saul did some cool things. God was moving and frequent throughout it, yet none of them ever volunteered to give up everything to build him a home. God's response, he goes, not only will I do all of these things for you, but your name will be remembered forever and your name and your throne will forever be before me. Friends, can I tell you that it's 2020 or 2022? <laughs> Praise God, it's not 2020, amen? We ain't going back. It's 2022. David's throne still exists. David's throne still exists all these years later. Thousands of years later, David's throne still exists. But David's throne is not in, it's not in Israel. It's not in Jerusalem. It's not in the city of David. It's not in the Middle East. David's throne is even on this earth. You see, John records in the book of Revelation that Jesus, he rules and he reigns and he intercedes and he prays for you and he is seated on the throne of David before God in heavenly places. So why is Davidic worship important? Because it doesn't just move God on earth, it moves God in heaven. It doesn't just establish thrones in the earth. It renames thrones in heaven. Davidic worship, it affects here and later. It affects here and heaven. It affects earth and heaven. There is more. There is more. Not to mention that David, he would go on to institute something called day and night, night and day kind of worship where he would worship God morning, noon, and night. Every day. Every day. Christians have a problem with two hour long service. I wonder what would your life begin to look like? What kind of reputation would you have in heavenly places? How would you be known in the bowels of hell? What would Grand Rapids look like? What would your families look like if we worship God in such a crazy and deranged way? No sleep. 
valuing his presence as better than every other moment in our lives. And saying, not only that, I can't go a morning, a noon, or a night without encountering the living presence of God. What would happen? What would happen? Thrones would be renamed. Earth would be shaped. Heaven would be changed. And God would respond to you by going, would you? So what I want to do right now is I want to offer a chance. We're going to sing another song and it's going to be great. The presence of God is going to continue to flow in this place, but here's the deal. Are we going to have Davidic worship? Or are we going to have the same offering we've always given God the entire time we've known Him? Are we going to be crazy for Him? Are we going to be on our knees before Him? Are we going to be lifting our hands before Him? Are we going to be shouting before Him, talking in tongues before Him, asking somebody to pray over us before Him? Maybe today you're going, I don't understand all of this, but I want all of this. Going to your neighbor and saying, can you pray for me? Like right now is the altar call response moment to begin to worship Him like David did. Someone who has a fraction of his presence, but a thousand times the ratio of his love and admiration for him. So worship team, would you begin to sing? And I want to invite you. I want to invite you to worship him. Worship him differently. Lift your hands. Come down front. Grab some cushion. Grab some concrete worship, cry, babble before him. Ask your neighbor, begin to just engage God like you've never engaged him before. And I'm telling you, your life and that which comes from it will be radically different. Amen. And don't listen to me any further. Worship him. Worship him. Hands up. Voices up. We're going. We're going. Worship team. Take us there. Let's sing. Give me Jesus.